And remember, children, it was Agatha all along. From Rochester, New York, the home of we don't know what the hell we're doing, but we're having fun trying anyway. This is FC3's Monkey Business, your one-stop shop for everything geeky. Starring Tanya Metris, starring Billy DeTore, starring Dan Carmen, and also starring, that would be me, I'm your host, my name is Chris. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and all points in between my friends and family. On board with us today as a special guest star, the co-host of Game Street, Gamer Street Irregulars, it's Mr. James Irish. Hello, James. Hey there, Chris. How's everyone today? We're doing all right, buddy. Um, now, and Billy, you're on board too. I had Billy Billy. I am. I'm here. Hello. Uh, Tanya and I are going to sound a little different today because as opposed to sitting at home on our individual headsets with really cool microphones and everything, we're sitting next to each other. We're in the same room. Um, yes, because... Uh... Dan is a little under the weather today, yeah. so he asked if we would be able to take care of it. And we're like, sure, not a problem. I was dropping my laptop off to Billy because we had tech issues last week. Right. So I'm like, I'll just record from Chris's house. But then Dan's like, can you guys record without me? We're like, sure. So normally when we look at the Zencaster, we see Dan Carmen, we see Christopher, we see Tanya, we see Billy, we see whatever. As the names, it's only Dan Carmen, yeah. Billy, and James Irish. Chris, uh, Chris, and Tanya are together right now, being Dan. Dan. So and that's that's weird. For we me. can't be Dan. I can't be that short. So <laughs> I can't be that tall. I can't be that short. We're we're, we're averaging between the two. It of takes us. two of you to be Dan. It takes yeah. two of us to be Dan. Yeah. Uh, and um, and then in a little bit after the, after we're done with the opening today, we're going to be bringing on. Uh, a friend of mine, let me just get the, the camera. Oh my God, for the life of me, I can't remember his last name, Pontillo. Uh, Vinny Pontillo, who's got a couple podcasts of his own. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but Vinny's going to be coming on board today. Why? Because today we're going to be talking about the, the, the sweet drama that is known as professional wrestling. This is going to be definitely up James and Billy's Avenue. I'm going to be sitting back. Choreographed. And, choreographed. Uh, the choreographed the science. The, the choreographed ballet of professional wrestling. Um, but yeah, for well, uh, before that though, Billy, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you, Chris. Um, I missed you guys last week. I hear you wound up not recording last week after our tech issues. After all the tech issues, we're just like, it's just not. We can't do it without you. That's the thing. No. <laughs> so we just don't want to recording anything without you. So, so but, Chris and Dan recorded an episode of Dan, Chris, and, Chris Dan and Chris Save the World, Save the World instead. Which we would unofficially started calling Dude Tape 42. Uh, if you know, you know. So I really enjoyed it. I listened to that yesterday and it, I found it highly entertaining. I like hearing about you guys. That's awesome. Because I've only known you guys for a couple of years. So now I get to hear the backstories. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's almost like you're seeing the hero origin story, although the hero part we're kind of negotiating. <laughs> <laughs> This is so weird to be sitting here with just talking without my headset on. I feel like I should be recording with my heads. I think I'm going to put my headset on when Vinny shows up just for the the the, the esoteric comfort level of it. Oh, because you're out of your comfort zone. I'm out of my bit. comfort zone. I mean, I'm used to doing this for Nerd World News, you know, because this is this is the same microphone I used for, for yeah. NWN, which, by the way, sitting here at the moment is just reminding me I need to get that professional microphone that I was going to on Amazon. I really need to do. No, no, no. She's shopaholic. Didn't we do a whole podcast about that two weeks ago? 
Oh, is Tanya clicking around already? As soon as I said that I was looking into getting a microphone, she starts picking up her phone and going, oh, okay, I can shop for that. Uh, <laughs> I may have already shopped today on Amazon. Yes, but we, we bought presents for people. Yes. So that's a thing. James, um, my boy, how are you there? I'm managing pretty well. This is my second marathon session in three days today. Oh, really? Because I'm, we're recording Gaming Street Irregulars uh, at our usual 1 p.m., Time. Okay. I can, I can kind of, I can commiserate with that a little bit because there are times where I record podcasts for an hour, hour and a half, and then I immediately dungeon master for four to five hours right after that for the kids. So that happens every other week. So I can, I can understand and appreciate your pain there, my friend. And how about you there, Miss Tanya sitting to my left? I'm pretty good. Tanya to the left of me, Juno to the right, here I am stuck in the middle with Billy. Do you want to get sued again? What's that? Do you want to get sued again? No. Copyright infringement. Yeah, yeah. do you want the people in Syria to block you? Yeah, well, I know. The people in Syria and Iraq. Didn't this North happen Korea. already with and that North song? Korea. You know what's weird? Here's the weird thing, guys. Since that happened, when we used um, the, the, the Steve Martin routine, which we'll go on uh, without naming, um, uh, when we when that all backlash that all happened and, and we suddenly mm -hmm. got we were banned in North Korea and Syria and in Iran and, and Iran and a couple of places like that we we were making jokes about it. Also, we got a ton of followers. We've been getting a ton of likes and followers on our Facebook page, all from the Middle East. It's amazing. <laughs> all these people are like, "Oh, these guys are really cool." <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. No, it's awesome. I think it's fantastic <laughs> because something must have gotten their attention. Yeah, yeah. good point. And there's see, I bring it up. Because I remember that song got the Joker episode in trouble. Yes. Did it really? Yes. Oh, that's right. It did. On YouTube. I think when yeah, Dan put it up on here's, YouTube. Here's the thing. I think if one of us makes a casual reference in the recording, then that's one thing. But if we actually use a recording, like when we did the Filk episode many years ago, uh, our producer went out of her way to make sure that... Uh, we had permission from all of the sources, and it was all listed in the the, the description of the video. Mm -hmm. That way, nothing came back at us, you know, because YouTube was like, "Oh, we're 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 monitoring this. Oh, you use that song. Oh, you have their permission. Okay, good." Whereas, but um, we were only singing it like badly off key. Billy didn't even pull up the music from the studio for mm -hmm. um, "Stuck in the Middle of a Do." Mm -hmm. But yeah, it still got flagged. We were just singing it. Which, which kind of reminds me, Tanya, do you remember the episode where Chris wasn't there? I think we were talking about Legally Blonde. Probably. And somehow I wound up singing most of American Pie. Did that not have any any um, repercussions? Yeah, we haven't heard anything. Um, Dan would have told us Yeah, gotten uh, dinged for that one. It didn't reach Don McLean's ears that I sang three quarters of American Pie for yeah. you guys. <laughs> it just doesn't no. make sense, man. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. No, I, was, I was especially worried about that one episode where we were talking about favorite songs before we dove into a, a Muppets discussion, and we used that entire Beatles song. Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, I was when I was on my way up here this morning um, to drop off my laptop. I was uh, listening to the radio and I had the '80s on, and uh, I'm not sure what song was playing, but it just 
like threw me back to when Billy was in the studio and I would be dri- driving yeah, to, the to the studio listening to music <laughs> and things like that. I'm like, oh, I really wish I was listening to Billy right now. If it, you know, yeah. to be honest, that was the only time I actually ever listened to that station because. Uh, oh my God. It's, it's either people talking or the music was like weird. It's like, like talking like almost all day long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, is, it really is right now. You got Weeds in the Morning, mm-hmm. Earl David Reed and his crew with, in the afternoons, Tulio Moran, Middays. Morning Glory. Rover's yeah. Morning Glory. Rover's Morning Glory is at night now rather than music. So, yeah. So it's an all talk station pretty much, except for probably like midnight to five or something. That's amazing. So, hey, so there's that. I've listened to Rover in the past, you know, when he was, especially in the, when he's in the mornings, he's and live in the morning. He's on another station. He's on 94.1. Not yeah. anymore. I don't think. Okay. That's probably because That's yeah. Got it. Their hands on him. Yeah. He's an interesting character. Is he? I, Cleveland. I've, I've never heard the show. Yeah. Well, obviously because for 10 years that was morning somewhere else. So yeah. Well, you know, I think the thing about him is he, he's your typical morning show host. So he's he's got his pointed views. He tries to I think he's a lot like Weeze in the regard that if he if he's not fond of you uh, and when you call in, if you're being goofy or something like that, he will humor you and then kind of get you off quickly, get you off the line. Mm-hmm. fast. Um, he doesn't like bickering and arguing. He'll do it a little bit. Uh, he spars with people like Weeze does, but he always pats him on the back and gets him on their way quickly. But he's yeah. got his best of characters around him. You know, the, okay. the, you know, with every morning show needs to have that cast of misfits. And, uh-huh. and so he's got the jock, you know, who's who's very narrow minded about certain things. <clears throat> and um, so he becomes the kind of the the the, the Bud Ab- or the, the Costello to Bud Abbott kind of a thing. OK, um, he's got the girl doing news, but he's okay. got this whole Seinfeld and Elaine vibe because apparently they used to date before the show got going. Hmm. And and then you've got your your producers and phone screeners, which is rotated throughout the course over the years. And they are usually very hapless people who have a lot of weird backstory and, and therefore an endless source of comedy. And then he's got the dunce in the corner who I, he, he tortures this poor guy. And this poor guy has the IQ of a slug. It's just <laughs> the oh. shit this guy gets himself into. <laughs> And then Rover makes fun of him for it. And they all pound on this guy. This guy fires back, but it's it's like unarmed combat. It's amazing. So, yeah, yeah, I've I've never heard the show, so it's, I know it's got it's got its fans for sure. It really does. And the demographic is definitely half my age. And yeah. that's that's what he's shooting for, and and they're happy with him. Mm-hmm. So matters. <clears throat> I pref- I prefer this where it's not a really so much it's a it's a main guy with a cast of characters, it's it's the team effort more yeah. all kind of a part of it everybody's we all pick on each other yeah i've caught it a couple times like on my way home from dance and things like that they've had some pretty questionable conversations but yeah hey i've got some good news i told Uh, time already i I get my first uh vaccination wednesday nice very nice so i'll be halfway to being immune to the plague there you go or something like that i saw my doctor for my annual physical on friday um I have some health-related news. Um, the doctor predicts that I have only probably another 40 years, 50 years left to live. So I'm sorry to say you're stuck with me for a while longer yet. Yay. But he's also That's... giving me the clearance to, to go get the, try to find the vaccine myself now too. So 
Oh, that's good. Now, which that's vaccine very... did you get? You know, what, did they tell you which one it was? Like if it was Pfizer, Moderna? I, I, I'm sure they did. I'm sure it's on the paperwork. It's, no. you know, they opened up the new location at the old Hawkeye plant, the Kodak right. plant. So whatever that one has. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure in the email that I got confirming. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure which one um, they're giving there. Um, the dome is Pfizer. Um, and there's Let no at the dome arena. Billy, I will give you the same disclaimer I give everybody else. The moment that your uh, that your superpowers manifest, I want video. Okay. And exclusive interview rights. Absolutely. I got no place else to go. It's going to be Billy Man. Da-da-da. Exactly. Uh, I get. I've just pulled up the email to see if it says my confirmation email, but I don't see which one I get. So yeah, it's, I, it's I, a matter of just what vaccine available. is available yeah. to be sent mm-hmm. there. I can only imagine. I wonder if we've had a question of the week. What superpowers would you have? If you if hmm. you said you had superpowers, what would they be? That would, that would be a question of the week story, I think. I have a lot of superpowers. Yes, they're most involved shopping. Yes. <laughs> An organization. An organization. Yes. she could, Her superpower is that she will come in and organize your house in two hours straight. Oh, yeah? yeah I dare you. But you won't be able to find anything, but your your yeah. uh, collection will be alphabetized. That might take me a little longer than two hours. No, I, I you like I said, like the flash. You just whip through the house. Well, then my ADD kicks, and then I see something, then I go and do something else, and then I'm like, oh wait, I have to go back and do this. I can just imagine. Yes, that's what happens. You start cleaning one thing because you're like gung ho about organizing one thing, uh-huh. and then you find something in there, and then you're like, oh, this goes here, and then you go to that spot. Uh-huh. Like, well, for me to put it into that spot, that you spot to has to clean. Now, yes, it becomes and then you find that this cascading a, effect. A, a really horrible cycle. This cascading effect of yeah. doom. So every so often, I'll like pull all my clothes out of my dresser drawers or my closet and just like purge and reorganize and reclean and things like that and put them back in Mm -hmm. and it stays that way for about mm, like six seven months like the drawers are starting to get a little messy again well you have to reorganize you have the the two kids that go plowing through things they don't go plowing through my clothes drawers well they 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 plow through everything (laughs) at least not that you know of yeah well you know there you go to get that hey mom what's this She's turning red. I have what, what, whatever do you think I'm implying, Tanya? I don't know. Your baby Yoda T-shirt, of course. Oh, yo, I had a uh, baby Yoda T-shirt on the other day, and Riker's like, "I want that shirt." I'm like, "You have this shirt. <laughs> like, you have one." But oh no, he. Uh, I had a baby Yoda sweatshirt on on Wednesday. It uh-huh. says, "I'm all ears." It's really cute. I got it from Box Lunch last week. So I was getting Riker ready for school or waking him up to do his screening and things like that. I'm like, Ryan, look at my new sweatshirt. He rolls over. He goes, oh, God. He's like, too much. You've got too much. And he rolls back over. I'm like. Says the kid who has over 4 million Legos in the house. He's got 35 Star Wars sets. That's amazing. I only think they made 36. Oh, no. There's lots. There's a lot more. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot more. There's a few more than that at this point. Yeah. Oh my God! Three hundred and fifty dollars in Legos last week that he bought. That's what he gets for like saving up his money and yeah, he know, hoards. He hoards his money, which is a good sign for the future, mm-hmm. right? But then 
Then he's like, Legos! Yes. <laughs> now he's a he's found his kryptonite. The unfortunate thing is, and, I, and like I said, I think I got to work with this kid a little bit on this one, is he's now afraid to break these sets down and try to build other things with them. You know, because I was joking with him a, a few weeks ago. Um, he's like, well, I've got the X-Wing and I've got the Y-Wing and I've got the A-Wing and I don't know what else to do now. I said, well, now what you do is you break them all down. You create the Rye-Wing, right? And he had like and a like a, he, like had a this paint, he had this paint expression in his face like, break them down, what? Okay, so he misses the second half of what it means to be a Lego addict. I mean, well, we don't have to necessarily break down the the Star Wars sets because those are on display now. Yeah. He's got a whole set of drawers of uh -huh. miscellaneous Lego pieces uh -huh. that could be built. Well, see, that's why I send him those videos of people creating like stuff from their imaginations and whatnot. Yeah. I'm trying to inspire the kid to to be a true Lego master. Yeah. <laughs> right now, he's just a Lego builder. Yes, he's a Lego builder. So, he's a really awesome Lego builder. Yeah. So anyway, so what's on tap for you guys today? You know, I might go buy some comic books. Ooh, that sounds good. I think there. I think I have a couple of my pull list uh, books waiting for me, and I got the weather looks nice for a walk. And yeah, it's been a beautiful day. It's been a beautiful week. We've had some good weather this week. It's, yeah, it's we that, have it's that break that lulls you into the false sense of security, right? It Every did time. because Susan's already put our winter coats away. Oh, no, not she yet. Jinxed us. <laughs> she um, just okay. jinxed us. Susan's birthday is Wednesday, correct? Yes, it is. So, her of all people should know the the weather unpredictability between mm -hmm. March third and March tenth in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. or in Western New York, that you don't put away your winter coat until May. Well, oh, I know. I, my freshman <laughs> year of college, the spring semester was in 89, and I remember we'd had a br fairly brutal, quick first part of the winter. You know, we had a lot of snow on campus at Fisher, and everything was, like, really, you know, kind of overflowing in white. Um, but then in all of a sudden in February, we had this, this long weekend where it jumped up to 80s, mm -hmm. like it was like 85, 86 for like two or three days. And we're all in shorts and t-shirts and we're walking around the quad. The people are hanging out at the, the, the fountain outside of Basil Hall, the, the main academic building, you know, and we're all hanging out and, and whatnot. And, and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like this. And literally the very next day after this three day, three or four days of 80, it was 20 and a blizzard. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Rochester, man, Rochester. Oh yeah, I, uh, believe me, I know. It's like my my birthday being March eighth. It's been uh, ice storms, snowmageddon, uh, everything. Mm -hmm. So I think in the last forty eight years, there's been like maybe two times that I can remember where it hasn't been some type of weather phenomenon hitting on your birthday. Um, th around that time, around your birthday. Yeah. See, I, I think we were lured into a, a false sense of security because we basically haven't been out. Right. You know, we stay inside except when we go shopping. And even then, during the cold weather, we kind of do it in hoodies and stuff because once we get into the store, a big heavy coat mm -hmm. makes us warm. So it's the walk from the parking lot to the store and back. So we kind of haven't been using our winter coats as often as we normally would so See, i'm out of the habit of using the big heavy coat because i'm not um i usually my outermost layer is my suv right when i'm at work mm -hmm. i'm sitting in my car more often than not because i haven't had access to city hall in in a, in a year 
And, and so I've, I've got the heated seats and I've got a heated car. And so I will have, I will have layers on and the outermost layer is kind of a really nice three season windbreaker to cut, you know, to cut the really chill winds out mm-hmm. but when it's five degrees out, I'm not dressed for five degrees, but I'm going from my car to people's houses so I can do the inspection and then I go back in my car. So I'm really cold for only like a couple seconds. And I've been, I have- out, <laughs> so I've been out in the snow. It happens. It's a thing. Oh, well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I, I hear there's a possibility of some snow in, in like next weekend. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see what no happens. No snow. Snow. It's winter. It happens. I'm not, no. My birthday's <laughs> I know, baby. It's okay. We still love you anyway. Oh. James, my friend, what's on tap for you today other than game, Gaming Street Irregulars? Laundry. Laundry. He's the tick. He's the tick. I'm doing laundry. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. Well, Chrissy, we said hi. I yeah, will. Chrissy's, I will indeed. Chrissy's a little under the weather. She uh, canceled our uh, game night last night. She canceled, said she wasn't feeling good. Oh, no. And then our friend Mark sent me a text and said he wasn't feeling good, that he was going to his doctor's. Uh-huh. So, therefore, I just turned around and sent a message to Strong going, oh, I guess we're canceling. I'll see you tomorrow. He's like, okay, I guess I'll start the ragu now. There you and, go. Uh, and uh, so, so, how's how's Sean's <clears throat> sleep study going? Well, he's been on vacation this week. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's, that, that's, that's code. That's, that's, I know that's code. It's that's code. <laughs> anyway, because well, he didn't come on uh, Thursday because Wednesday night he had a sleep study. That's what he calls it. Yeah, they call it a date with Nancy. I don't know. <laughs> I'm still throwing him under the bus. See, I have He's the luxury. He's at Planet of, Fitness right now, and I think Nancy was there. I have the luxury of talking about this because I know neither Sean nor Nancy listen to our podcast. Oh boy. So. Um, actually, <laughs> uh, hold on, James. Um, uh, Nancy went over to Sean's the other night for like pizza and Scrabble, and she, she allegedly whipped his ass. And I really wanted to um, acknowledge that that. Uh, Sean has trouble spelling certain words mm-hmm. that um, it probably Whoa. wasn't going to be too difficult to mm-hmm. uh, beat him at Scrabble. Yes, James. So aside from laundry, I'm also producing the other podcast project I've been working on, which Ooh, is tell us more about this. What was that? Tell us more about this. What you're working on? Yes, uh, this this one is going to feature the gentleman who was the guest on. The Gaming Street Regulars Street Fighter episode. Okay. Pembroke W. Corgi, uh, which, yes, is an obvious play on a Pembroke Welsh Corgi. <laughs> but uh, we're going to be talking animation. We're calling it the Pemmy and James Kinda Sorta Hopefully Funny Cartoon Podcast. Oh, cool. We banged out two episodes worth of material. I'm currently in post production of the first one. Okay. And we're just waiting to get some theme music from my cousin. And waiting for Pemmy to have some time to get some art ready. Our first episode will be on the real Ghostbusters. Our second nice. episode will be She-Ra, Princess of Power, the original 1985 series. We'll probably okay. do a Netflix one in another date. And um, we're going to do bi-weekly alternating with uh, Chris and Dan Save the World. Or is it Dan and Chris Save the World? Dan and Chris Save the World. Okay. That's, in my head, those two are interchangeable. <laughs> yeah, I well, know. because Chris and Dan Save the World is a totally different podcast. That's what we were told. So, <laughs> but no, that's cool. And so they'll be joining the Mighty Monkey Network, and uh, and so that, that's just gonna be wild. We're gonna have something going on every weekday. 
And and we are waiting until you guys get some traction underneath your your feet and things like that mm -hmm. because Ann and I were planning on doing something. What happens when the comic chicks aren't comic chicking? <laughs> <laughs> what else are they doing? And and you bring up a valuable point, James, because you're talking about doing the the post production and adding theme music and stuff like that. I have Dan and I have been back and forth on it. We just cold open and cold close with with our two episodes so far. It, is that kosher? And you got, I mean, Billy, you can chime in on this too, being a radio guy. Mm -hmm. uh, are 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 we in the right spot doing that, or should we be thinking about like a little kind of like you know putting a bow on the package and adding a little bit of like something at the beginning and something at the end? Personally, I feel like uh, just keeping it you two guys raw audio. Mm -hmm. That is a part of its flavor. It's just the two of you. Right. There's no necessarily media topics surrounding it. There's no guests. There's no 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 uh, sponsorships or anything like that. You're not uh -huh. working necessarily with a gimmick beyond, hey, this is us. Okay. So I, I kind of like it that way. Cool, cool. I, I do too. I, I kind of like just... Hey, here we're Chris. We're Dan. We got stuff to say. Well, no, I, I like the cold open, cold close. Um, uh, I, I was just trying to think if, like, some type of pre production at the start would would help, but uh -huh. I, I I don't miss it. I don't miss there being uh, pre production. So I almost had a thought, and I haven't had a chance to talk to Dan about it. So you guys are going to hear this one before he does. Um, of the gimmick of the show being almost like it's a phone conversation between two friends. So it starts off with the only, the only thing you hear at the opening is not a theme song, but you hear it like a phone ringing and then somebody picks up. Hello. Hey, Dan, it's Chris. Oh, Hey, how you doing? And so then the two of us just get to talking. That's not bad. I'd like that. I do too. So a conversation between two friends. basically. Mm -hmm. All right. But that's not our conversation for today. Our conversation for today is about the whole gig, the whole thing. World Wrestling Federation, World Wrestling Entertainment, uh, WCW, TNA, The Works. There's a whole ton of different initials and acronyms out there. We have Vinny Pantello coming in shortly. We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're off to the top turnbuckle. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dudes and dudettes. I'm hoping you're having a great morning, evening, afternoon, whenever you happen to be listening to this particular show. We have a guest, as promised, we have a guest on board. Vinny Pontillo, the man behind Bulldogs Got the Book podcast, the live on recording from New Jersey. How are you, Vin? I'm doing well. How are you, sir? Hanging in there, brother. Hanging in there. Uh, for a quick little backstory, Vin and I met about a month or two ago. We were involved in a role-playing game one-shot. I was doing the um, the game mastering, and Vinny was one of the players with his wife, Victoria. Uh, we were doing a, a celebrating of a mutual friend's birthday, so we were running him through some uh, some cool stuff. I, I, did you guys have a good time with that? I'm hoping you did. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. It was awesome. I, I never got to... I, we never really got to play that system before, so it was, cool. was cool. It was cool seeing uh, tabletop role playing from uh, the uh, through the lens of a different system. So, yeah, Vinny and I are very much used to playing Dungeons and Dragons, but I decided to have a little bit of fun 
Um, I created the entire situation where the players didn't even know what game system they were playing. The characters were having amnesia. That sounds familiar. Yes. It sounds very, very I've, familiar. I have used that before to great success. So there was new people that I could throw that particular trick at, and Vinny was one of the victims, and they had a great time. And I bring it up not just to talk about how Vinny and I met, but because we're, we're the conversation of the afternoon is going to be about other essentially quote unquote superheroes in funny spandex costumes <laughs> as, as a friend of mine, has, and I've said this on our podcast before on a couple of occasions, as a friend of mine has described it, it, it professional wrestling is essentially sudden violent comedy and, and video essentially what your podcast is about. You, you kind of talk about wrestling and do, do some chat about that. It's a fan, It's, it's effectively wrestling fan fiction. Is, uh, <laughs> is the best way I can describe my podcast is wow. we go, we go into the history books and we look at things that happened and we, uh -huh. we, we kind of examine like uh, the, the behind the scenes trivia around the time. And it's sort of like, well, what if instead of this, it went this way, then what would the landscape look like? You know, and we just sort of fantasy book a different situation. That's kind of cool. And, um, while wrestling has never been my strong suit, I know Billy has enjoyed it over the years, and James is a big fan as well, and that's why James has joined us uh, today, and Billy is one of our regular co-hosts. James has his own podcast on our network, and uh, I'm going to let you, I'm basically going to sit back and let you guys have at it, because I just, I want to hear, I love hearing about something that people geek out about from, you know, as the observer, because it's kind of okay. cool to learn and kind of get the vibe off of them. Well, one thing, I the, the first thing, my first question, because I've been a wrestling fan since, well, I, I first started watching it in the early to mid-70s when, uh, uh, like, Bruno Sammartino was champion. I was a little kid then. Uh, Chief White Owl was one of my favorites. Okay. But then uh, our local independent station, uh, Channel 31, when they came on the air in the early 80s, that's when Bob Backlund was champion and mm -hmm. you know, Pedro Morales. So, yeah. So, uh, I, I starting in like the mid to late 80s, I started subscribing to what they call a dirt sheet, the Wrestling Observer. Now, mm -hmm. uh, did you ever subscribe to any of those uh, uh, newsletters, Vinny? Back when they, I, I used to get ten pages stapled together in the mail every Friday, full of the, <laughs> full of like the behind the scenes stuff. I was subscribed to literally every piece of wrestling uh, literature paraphernalia I could get my hands on. I got WWE magazine, uh, excuse me, in, in my world, it's WWF. I, I right. got a WWF magazine, WCW magazine, The Observer, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, uh, Wrestling Insider, everything I could get my hands on. I, I, con I consumed it at a, uh, a frightening rate. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I loved the Observer, Pro Wrestling Observer and Pro Wrestling Torch, Wade Keller's newsletter out of Minnesota. I, I would wait every Friday for those to show up and then just plow through them. Because now you mentioned the behind the scenes stuff. I, me and my friends used to play, well, what if this happened? Because fans always know better than the promote, than the bookers do on what should have happened. So is that your basic premise of your podcast is what if we were the bookers? 
That's exactly the premise of my podcast. Uh, I, I got the idea for it a couple of years ago when I went, um, I went back and I did a rewatch of WrestleMania four and, Oh man, I so w- many possibilities can spin off of that one pay-per-view. Well, the, the one that sparked it for me was, uh, watching the, uh, the Ricky steamboat, Greg Valentine match. I see Ricky steamboat acts a lot like a heel. Like he, he's arguing with the ref. He shoves the referee at one point. He argues the pinfall at the end, even though it was clean. So I started thinking, what if Steamboat went heel and he was Macho Man's first challenger for the title instead of DiBiase? You know, and mm-hmm. I just started thinking about what could have spawned from there. And then just other things started coming up. Um, you know, what, what if Hulk Hogan had gone heel in 92 and Sid Vicious had stayed the baby face? You know, all kinds of things like that. And um, those actually became two episodes of the podcast. But that that's essentially the premise. When I, of, when I think of WrestleMania 4, I, I think of back when behind the scenes, you know, Ted DiBiase was the original guy scheduled to actually win the belt yeah. set up set up a run and then eventually some baby face probably Hulk Hogan would beat him down the line but mm. at the same time Honky Tonk Man was scheduled to lose the Intercontinental title to Randy Savage and Honky Tonk Man he just wasn't having it he pulled a creative control card somehow so mm-hmm. he retained and then Randy Savage was slotted in to take the world championship yeah, and whoever decided to make that pivot is a genius because Hogan Savage Mania Five, yes, please. That was <laughs> that was around. That was just before I actually got into wrestling, and I just keep thinking to myself, what if that hadn't changed? Who could have, who could have actually stepped up to make an interesting feud with DiBiase besides Hogan? My head usually goes back to one of our first year guests of Flower City Comic Con, Tito Santana. It would have been a great in the. It would have been great in ring matches uh, in the ring for sure, no question. Mm-hmm. Now it's it's funny you brought up WrestleMania four because I was just thinking about that this morning because the build up to that the the Friday night main event a month earlier is the most genius thing to me in the history of wrestling. Oh, it's it, one of the greatest angles it, ever. Yeah, it might be my all time favorite moment. And that, let me explain to Chris and Tanya just listening in, <laughs> is that uh, NBC uh, decided to get into the pro wrestling game and put a pr- uh, primetime special on uh, NBC on in February of 80, uh, what was it, 88? 88. 88. And the main event was going to be Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. Ted DiBiase wanted to be the champion. And in the end, Andre the Giant pinned Hulk Hogan to a one count, but the referee counted three. Yep. Uh, at which point, the referee made a, made a heel turn. He became a bad guy. And then, out of nowhere, comes a referee down the aisle who looks just like the guy in the ring. There was an evil twin referee. Oh at which point, I busted out laughing so hard. And it turns out these two guys were actual twins, Earl and Dave Hebner. Uh, and the evil one had locked his, his good guy brother in a closet before the match. <laughs> and so the evil twin counted three, and the belt was presented to Andre the Giant, who gave it to Ted DiBiase to be champion. Then all that was overthrown to build on to WrestleMania four. But the evil twin referee 
to me is still the most genius thing in the history of wrestling. My phone rang as soon as it happened. My brother was calling me from his house. Did your did your newsletter say that was going to happen? What was that? And he was. <laughs> we were both laughing so hard, our stomachs hurt. Yeah, I remember, remember Andre. Remember Andre getting the belt and calling it the World Tag Team Championship, probably because he was <laughs> half in the bag when the match happened. Oh, that's right. I saw yeah. oh, the World oh, Tag Team Championship. <laughs> but the evil twin referee will always be my favorite moment in wrestling. That was great. It was a great angle. And Hogan's promo at the end where he's like crying, you know, how <laughs> so much for the plastic surgery? You know, so it's so cheesy now, but at the moment it was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Mm -hmm. that's, I haven't, that's a good point. I haven't rewatched it yet. Or maybe since. I wonder if it'd hold up today doing something like that. I mean, it's no worse than some of the stuff they do nowadays. It's still, it was yeah. a, an amazing angle at the time. It really was yeah. uh, unprecedented, especially for the WWF. Yeah. So for the benefit of Chris and Tanya, who are, less familiar with the scripted science than the three of us are, I picked out five moments in pro wrestling that I definitely want to at least touch on. Ooh, since okay. I think they're good point, jump on points to show what makes this art form so special. And one of the foundational concepts in pro wrestling are the alignments. The baby face or the good guy or and the heel and the bad guy. Now, these these characters each play specific roles in a match. You want to see you, the ebb and flow. You want to see the heat. You typically see the heel get get their heat in on the baby face with underhanded tactics or just sheerly outpowering them or whatever. And uh -huh. you as the fan want to get, want to see the catharsis of the baby face overcoming the this jerk. <laughs> okay and. To build to these matches, you usually get promos, interview segments, either with a guy like Amin Gene Okerlund asking questions or just the wrestler delivering a, a uh, macho soliloquy. To, to <laughs> yeah. And one of the mm. ultimate babyface promos is the first moment I picked. Dusty Rhodes's Hard Times promo. Oh, classic. Classic stuff. Now, is this stuff that I would be able to find on like YouTube or things like that? You can get or that one on YouTube, not. yeah. Okay. The but hard Dusty, times. I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. You go ahead first, Vinny. No, I'm saying that the hard times promo is so great because it highlights something Dusty was so good at, and that is like leaving the world of wrestling, reaching through the TV, and just like latching on to things that anybody watching could believe in. Like he he grabbed all the blue collar people and was like, "I'm fighting for you," with the um. You know, uh, hard times is when they when you've been at a job thirty years, they give you a watch, kick you in the butt, and tell you a computer took your job. You know, there was especially in the mid '80s, there were so many people they could resonate that could resonate with, and uh, Dusty was just so great at that. Dusty was one of the most memorable promo men in the game. Simultaneously, as dire as a Steinbeck and as bouncy as a Saturday morning cartoon. Is is how I've heard him described, and I, I can't think of anything better. And the witticisms that would come out of him—you've heard me already quote once before. We're gonna get funky like a monkey, and if you ain't got a monkey, then get funky anyway. If you win, the second most recognizable athlete in the world today—the American Dream, the Rhodes. That's a good impression. Thank you. <laughs> 
That's funny. And, so, and that's, I think, because I know we've talked about wrestling in the past, and I know we've done a couple of podcasts about it, mainly because, you know, as, as we say in the uh, the opening, it, you know, everything is geeky if you love it enough, you know, so everything qualifies for this particular recording. Um, it's the pageantry, it's the theater, it's the, the sheer, the characters, the over-the-top characters, you know, and I think what's made it so appealing to so many people over the years is that they have the, there's a personality that anybody can identify with for the most part. Yeah. Um, you know, you just have to look past the soap opera aspect of it sometimes. And once you accept the fact that as, as, as James has called it, the, the staged or scripted science, did I say that's the scripted science? Yes. So, you know, I'm listening to you guys and, and this is, this is cool for me because usually as the moderator of the, uh, of the podcast, I have a certain level of, of knowledge and expertise on the subject matter we're talking about. But when it comes to professional wrestling, I admit it freely. I don't know. know, I have no knowledge. I have, you know, so I'm along for the ride on this one. I did follow it a lot in the uh, mid nineties because I had roommates that I was living with that were big into it. So I knew a lot of like, you know, the, the, the NWO and I knew about the, the turns and the, you know, I, the, the, the terminology was a little bit of a reach for me because, you know, oh, heel face, baby face. I'm, I make assumptions, uh, you know, based on my knowledge of language, but that's about it. it, it so let me ask you, fellas, this. Um, is the flip-flopping between hero and villain, is that common for these for these guys? Is that something that happens often? Oh, they, yeah. It happens yeah. a lot. And that okay. actually leads me to the second item I want <laughs> to bring up. But oh, before you go on, James, I just want to mention sometimes it happens too much. Okay. And that sometimes, so. like, so. as, that's exactly who I was going to bring up. Uh, a wrestler named Paul White, his character was a giant named The Big Show. And there were times where I literally wasn't sure if at that moment he was the good guy or the bad guy because they switched him so often. <laughs> okay, so that can definitely be an issue. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it, it, does, it, does it really affect um, how you look at, how you watch everything? Or does it is it just kind of like, you know, okay, that happened. Uh, I, I don't look. Yeah, it, it really does depend. Like if I'm watching by myself, I can sort of go with things easier than if I'm what then like if my wife is watching or if I have a friend watching with me, then I don't want something embarrassing happening. Something mm-hmm. that's just too impot too hard to explain or too silly to explain. Susan yeah. wrestling. What's that? Susan watches wrestling? Well, I watch wrestling, and if she's downstairs, then sometimes she'll watch it. And, like, sometimes the matches are so almost realistic looking, she'll leave the room because she feels bad. You know, she's afraid people are getting hurt, and I think sometimes they do get hurt. I've I've seen that happen. But, you know, sometimes the stuff is – I mean, you call it sudden violent comedy. Sometimes when they lean too heavily on the comedy, I I get a little uncomfortable with that. Same here. Gotcha. All right. So, James, you had your second question. Go ahead and fire that one up. Yes. My second point ties into the idea of uh, an established good guy turning bad and trying to sell it to an audience. We're going to ECW (laughs) for this one. This is Cactus Jack, a.k.a. Mick Foley, giving the Kane Dewey promo. I love DCW. Me too. And Me too. that was that was genius. Was that the Eric Bischoff group? Nope. Paul Heyman. 
No, Paul Heyman out of Philly. It's a they ran it out of a bingo hall in Philadelphia, and uh-huh. it gained uh, a sizable audience for for itself, a big cult audience. So what happened in this in the segment was Mick actually drew upon a sign he saw a fan bring to ringside once, and he's using this to build his heat to to draw into his uh, turn as a bad guy because the sign said Kane Dewey, and Dewey Foley is Mick Foley's fourteen year old at the time son. Okay, that you know ECW was a scene where there was not much sacred i mean just look at a dudley boys promo from back then and uh, be prepared to uh, to apologize to anybody else in the room yeah oh they crucified people in the ring like on actual crosses like there was yeah. no sacred cows with ECW they, yeah. they, it was violent it was it was beyond like if you didn't believe in red, this was in one organization where you could almost think this is real. This is really happening right now. So, so Foley had to kind of tap into this mentality that he is fed up with everything ECW represented and that sign encapsulated it for him. And then going forward into his heel persona, he realized if he does anything even remotely entertaining, the fans were just going to cheer for him because that's just what ECW fans were conditioned to do. Awesome mm-hmm. suplex, cheer. Rapid sequence of pins, cheer. High-flying move, cheer. T- chair shot to the head, cheer. Thumbtacks, cheer. So all of that went out. The only thing left were headlocks. Long headlocks. Multiple headlocks. Boring headlocks. <laughs> it worked. Yep. I remember yeah. um, speaking speaking of something I got a tangent off of that. Um, my my friend, my roommates at the time, who were more into it than I was, said apparently the the Steiner brother method of wrestling is if it moves, suplex it. Yep. Yeah. Basically. Um, yeah, the Kane Dewey thing, like the, that, ma- the match with the headlocks. I mean, that's Foley was drawing on an old tactic. Like Andre and Bruiser Brody used to do that in the territories all the time. Like if, if they didn't get paid or they didn't like the payoff or they got, they got pissed for some reason, they would just get out in the ring, grab a headlock and just sit on their opponent for 15 minutes until everyone booed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Foley was just using that and being like, well, Okay. <laughs> What, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. And he used it to his advantage, and he did it great because it worked. Bruiser Brody is someone I wish I was more familiar with. He actually was had untimely passed on by the time I became a, a dedicated fan, and he was probably the ultimate wild card in pro wrestling. You could believe him as a menacing heel you could believe him as a loose cannon baby face you could believe him as just a force of nature unto himself because he really came off as that unhinged oh definitely definitely like his his attitude and the way he looked like he looked like he just climbed down off of a mountain after killing his lunch with his bare hands and he gets in the ring and he's just this wild man like brody was he was someone that i i didn't watch much of when he was still alive it was later on when i started discovering old footage and watching his old matches he was he was something special mm-hmm. now, now Vinny, you you mentioned uh, by the way what's the name of your podcast i don't think you've mentioned it yet this Bulldog, morning. Bulldog's got the book. 
Okay, because the book is for Chris and Tiny again. The book is like the script. Correct. Yeah, the the book and whoever was in charge of wins and losses storylines. You was always called the Booker. So on mm-hmm. my podcast, I'm the Booker. <laughs> so what is your biggest missed opportunity? Like what what is the first thing when I say what would you have done differently? What's the first one that comes to your mind? Uh, the invasion in 2001. Oh, oh when um yeah 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 when uh Vince McMahon le- legitimately bought WCW. Yep. And ECW. Yep. And mm-hmm. um I mean I on one hand I get where Vince McMahon is coming from because he would have had to buy out all these guys from their contracts and you know as soon as you pay Bill Goldberg 3 million you know, Steve Austin's going to want 3 million. Rock's going to want 3 million. Undertaker's going to want 3 million, Triple H, you know? So I, I understand Vince McMahon not wanting to, uh, the, the money out, outweighing um, the product. I get that. But at the same time, man, like you didn't need everybody. Like you could have done it. All, all they needed was two more guys. They needed one A-list main eventer to lead the group, which I think could have been obviously Goldberg or Sting. And mm-hmm. then you needed one really good talker, which I mean, Ric Flair, like that, that's, that, that'd be my pick. Bischoff could have done it as well, but I just, all you needed was two. And I think it would have been so much stronger. You could have even done it with just Flair because they were able to get Diamond Dallas Page and Booker T. Those guys were absolutely credible, but what they did with them, especially DDP was embarrassing. What they did with DDP was an absolute joke. Yeah, the way they brought him in was a complete joke. All right, so for those of you who are not playing on the home game, the invasion, it sounds, if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, there were the two big ones, and if it, it was WWE and WCW. Correct, and, yes. yes. And Vince McMahon just turned around and bought WCW outright? Yep. Well, so we just bought them. That's how you eliminate the competition is to buy them. Got it. And then the invasion was... <laughs> I just was lost w- everybody. What's that? Oh, I, I just lost everybody. I couldn't hear anybody. Oh, I, I can we? Can you hear everybody now? Vinny, are you in? I'm here. I'm here. Okay, sorry. Okay, it was just probably a, a quick hiccup. Good, because I, I didn't see anything at this end, so that's good. I'm sorry. Okay. All right, no, no worries. So I was just going over the, the invasion thing. So uh, did they have WCW people invading WWE, or was it vice yes. versa? It was WCW guys invade, uh, WCW people invading the WWE, which is a great concept, and it started okay. Like They, they, they took a low-level WCW guy in uh, Lance Storm, and they basically just had him jump in the ring, super kick a WWE guy, and then run away through the crowd. So and this uh, was close to Lance's home, too. Um, was Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, which honestly is a great way to start it. It's just once they, they started getting past the lower level guys and they started getting into the main event players. Well, you know, I loved Booker T. I thought he was a fantastic wrestler and DDP. I was a huge fan of, but the way WCW was using them at the end, those guys couldn't stand shoulder to shoulder with Steve Austin and the undertaker and the rock, not at that time. So once they brought the invasion, the rest of the guys in, it was clear that, it was lopsided because WWE didn't bring in any of the um, grade A talent, so to speak. So it just, it fell <clears> off. <throat> and at that moment, that things started to just, in my opinion, circle the drain. The moment you okay. knew the whole thing was snake bit was when they did the actual first quote unquote WCW match on WWE television. Mm-hmm. It was Booker T 
against Buff Bagwell. Bagwell has never been a very good worker, and at this point, he was incredibly rusty. And Booker T was also rusty. They didn't even bother doing any house show reps for these guys. So they went out there, and Booker T could not salvage it. It it, it stunk yep. up the joint. Yep. Yes, it did. And that was the end of that. What's the What's the current landscape these days? Well, you've got WWE, uh, basically, and they've got several different quote-unquote brands. There's Raw, SmackDown, NXT, I believe 205 Live is still a thing. Um, yeah. There's there's AEW is a is a new player in the field. Impact is still operating, and I, I think Ring of Honor and New Japan have a thing going too. Yeah, and I think I th- and I'm not positive, but I think AEW and um, T- TNA or whatever the yeah. Impact are sort of combining forces a little bit. Yeah, there's a crossover storyline going on there, and they're just slowly starting to bring New Japan talent into that as well. Yeah, watch for the NWA guys to join that too. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah we're not talking about the the, the rappers. I'm right, assuming. that's right. that's my first yeah. thought. <laughs> <laughs> like, really? National <laughs> Wrestling Alliance. National yep. Wrestling Alliance. Now, I'm sure there's got to be an ebb and a flow, but there's been some sort of professional wrestling going on since I'm assuming the 50s, maybe even earlier than that. You guys can help me out with with the details on that down the road, but. Do you see um, professional wrestling as a waning sense of entertainment, or is it still fairly popular among the regulars? I think it's still fairly popular. It's just, it's evolving, you know, and and it kind of has to. Uh, The modern product overall, it's not something that I... I, I no longer really enjoy it. I don't like the style that's performed most of the time in the ring today. It's a little too uh, what I just call uh, flip-flop and fly for my taste. Okay. Um, I, I like high-flying action, but at, at the end of the day, I want a storyline. And I want things to make sense. You know, I, I want you to make me suspend disbelief. You know, don't just flip-flop and fly to show me all the cool acrobatics you can do. Like, it, it, are these moves making sense in the moment? You know, mm-hmm. uh, like one of the things, uh, James and Billy, if you watch the current product, uh, I know one of the people that's held on a huge pedestal is Seth Rollins. And I honestly, every time he does the superplex and pop up into the, into the Falcon arrow, right. I want, I want to roll up a magazine like you would with a dog and just mm-hmm. smack him on the nose and say, no, no. The, the superplex should be a finish. Like, you shouldn't be popping up out of that into another move. It pisses me off every time. Well, unfortunately, the problem is uh, pro wrestling, in terms of what happens in ring, feels often like an arms race at times. Yes. And we yes, got started, when we were getting started, the DDT was considered a finisher. Mm-hmm. And then it go into the 90s, the super kick is a finisher. Now these are transition moves. And I remember... Uh, reading about Carl uh, Gotch, a big name in the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. regarding Harley Race, who most people today hold up as one of the toughest men ever to step into the ring. Yeah. Carl Gotch considered him a stuntman just for the flying headbutt. Oh, jeez. Wow. So, See, I, I, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I, I think right now it's, it's a law of diminishing. People get desensitized. The The more you do, the fancier you get, the more people expect. Um, back in the 70s and 80s, the well, as, 
one of my first thoughts was the ladder match between Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon, a classic. But the first time that I'd seen anything like that, now it happens almost weekly to the point where it's ridiculous. And a match like, you know, the Michaels Ramon one, just it, it, I mean, it's still special in my heart, but if you show it to kids nowadays, they'd be like, well, I just saw that on, no, last week's pay per view. I saw yeah. it way better. It's not so, special anymore. Yeah, I was I was there live for that match. By the way, oh really? Res- yeah. uh, WrestleMania ten. WrestleMania ten. I was there, man, in the garden. Yep. Nice. Very cool. It was the only. So, it was the only match my mother actually paid attention to. <laughs> she must have liked Sean. She did. She did like Sean. <laughs> <laughs> So you kind of, Vinny, you touched on something there. So let me just jump in real quick. <clears throat> I think I think it's it's best when we figure, you know, they, they, they call professional wrestling sports entertainment. Yeah. And and so it's more than just the athleticism and the choreography and the you know the colors and whatnot, but it's it's there is a story there. Yes. And that's what you were looking for. There, there's there's a ebb and a flow, there's heroes and villains, there's bit players and and major players. So I am not, not, I'm trying not to reduce it and, and go for a funny soundbite, but it's almost kind of like um, <clears throat> a male oriented athletic soap opera. Am I, am I in that, in the right ballpark there? You are in the ballpark. And um, okay. this, this goes back to something Billy was saying before, as far as like how he, when he watches with, with someone uh, who's, who's not a fan, he, he's hoping nothing embarrassing will happening. Will, will happen. <laughs> and my gauge uh, when I want to show something to someone who's never seen it before. And I've done this with my wife. I've done this with other friends who were just curious. And I'm like, okay, sit down and watch this and tell me if you liked it is I want one of my gauges for what's a great match is can somebody with no frame of reference and no context, watch this and follow the story. And that's one of the things that I look for. And I think almost every great match you will see has that, has that ability that somebody can watch it cold and be able to follow the story that the wrestlers are telling. And that's also uh, something that the announcers can help with. There's good announcers and there's bad announcers. Absolutely. Just like there's good wrestlers and bad wrestlers. Like, to me, Joey Styles was a genius. And he yes. said, I'll go back to my beloved ECW. When uh, Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero were wrestling their last match for ECW, the best two out of three falls, it took the whole hour of the show. Joey Styles was amazing on commentary, and those two guys put on a ma- Usually a, a, an organization will bury someone leaving their company. They got showcased like never before, mm-hmm. Eddie Guerrero yeah. and Dean Malenko, for maybe my all-time favorite match. And those are and two guys, of, greatest of all time, man. Eddie and and speaking of announcers, that brings me to my uh, my third item that I definitely wanted to make sure we touched on. The okay. 1992 Royal Rumble match. Oh, my favorite of all time. That was the year that the title, for whatever silly reason, was vacated. And the winner of the Rumble match would get the belt. Mm-hmm. Into this match, you know... Bobby Heenan is one of the commentators, one of the all-time best bad guy commentators ever to put a microphone to his mouth. Oh, in my opinion, the best. Although he made one of the biggest blunders in wrestling history, as far as I'm concerned. He did, but... (laughs) 
Okay, so let's do that little tangent before we talk about the 92 Rumble. Okay. What's the blunder he did? When Hulk Hogan turned bad guy, he's, he gave it away. As, Ho as Hogan was coming down the aisle to supposedly save his friends from the NWO, uh -huh. Bobby Heenan said, well, I don't remember the exact who's, words, but wh whose side who's is he on? on? Tony Schiavone oh, and Dusty Rhodes are going crazy like, here comes Hulk Hogan. And does, and Bobby just blurts out, but whose side is he on? And it just, it oh. all, it kind of gave away the ending. Yeah. Gotcha. Where Hulk Hogan for the first time ever was going to turn bad guy. Yeah. So. To a degree though, that's keeping with Heenan's character. He yes. Never <laughs> liked Hogan. Correct. Correct. And that's why it wasn't like uh, the biggest deal in the world. And you, they were able to salvage it. And it was still one of the greatest moments of all time when Hogan turns, but uh, it is a funny little like, oops, open mouth, insert foot. <laughs> all right. So for the, the player, people playing the home game without a lot of um, information on the card, the Royal rumble is an annual event yes. where they basically over the course of, um, you know, a certain period of time, they dogpile just every big wrestler into the ring all at the same time. And they're just throwing each other around. And whoever's the, the last man standing at the end of it gets usually a title shot. But in this particular case, they got the title. So is, yeah. am I understanding this correctly? Basically, yeah. what okay. happens is two men start in the ring. Mm -hmm. Every roughly two minutes, another guy comes in. And so on and so on and so on. Until finally one is left standing. Now, if you get thrown out over the top rope, you're eliminated. Right. <laughs> now, now the the big drama from this one was pretty much provided by two people: Ric Flair in the ring and Bobby Heenan on the mic, because okay. Ric Flair had come in proclaiming himself the real world's champion, and he was going to take over, take everything over, show up the the flashy big guys from up north, and Ric Flair enters this match at number three. Very, very early. The minute he's in there, Bobby Heenan goes, No! Oh, Bob, Bobby Heenan comments that entire match. You would believe that there was two guys in suits standing behind him. And if Ric Flair lost, they were going to shoot him in the back of the head. Like, that's how Bobby Heenan plays it the whole time. And it's so great. <laughs> so great. It's his greatest performance as an announcer ever. <laughs> So, and, so he's upset that Flair was in so early because he's like his life is depending on Flair's success. Correct. Yes. Okay. And normally, a Royal Rumble match will take anywhere from an hour and fifteen minutes to an hour and a half. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, for someone to last from spot number three to go to the end means you're going that long, yeah. which is extremely rare and hadn't yeah. been done hadn't been done before. That's right. At that point. Now, I'm going to make a wild assumption that Flair won in the end. He does. You bet your sweet bippy. <laughs> 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 laughing reference for the folks out there. I'm with you. I told people what laughing was. <laughs> I got the reference, sir. <laughs> I know. I did, too. <laughs> well, we're just showing our age is basically what's yeah. happening. <laughs> Short of it right there. 23 skidoo. <laughs> <laughs> um, pardon me. All right, now we're off the reservation at this point. Let's swing back around. Oh, it's all right. Okay. So Ric Flair stays in the Okay. Oh, Tiny's going to jump in. Go I have ahead. a question. How much knowledge do the announcers have about the, the 
the wrestling soap opera that's playing out in front of them. I would assume they're like the narrator of the script. Um, uh, at least, I mean, I don't know what it is at this point in time, but I know back then, as far as like who was going to win and what the finishes were, the announcers actually knew very little. Uh, okay. Most of the announcers, especially the really good ones, didn't want to know because they wanted to make their call as, as organic as possible. They wanted that makes their, sense. Yeah, they wanted their reactions to be as organic as possible. Like, like in the 92 Rumble, they might have known that Flair was winning. But, I mean, as far as, like, all the undercard matches, no. Um, and a lot of, like, the one-on-one matches, they, they re- a lot of announcers don't want to know because they want to mm-hmm. just make it as real as possible. Yeah. Unfortunately, Can I say, Tanya, that was a really good question, Tanya. I actually hadn't thought about that. Thank you. <laughs> and further building on that point, my biggest knock on WWE right now would actually be their announcing mm-hmm. because – you know, they have generally talented announcers, but they have also have a 70 plus geriatric man who is completely out of touch riding on their posteriors as if the apocalypse were coming to use specific terminology. They're not fans, they're the WWE universe. It's not a title shot, it's a championship opportunity. It's, it's all about not the a hospital, it's a local medical facility. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. That's why I, I don't like it when Michael Cole gets such a bad rap. Like he's actually not a bad announcer when not he's at all. A, when he's allowed to be himself and react organically. Like um, best example that I can think of is the Eddie Guerrero Brock Lesnar match when Eddie Guerrero wins uh, the title from Brock Lesnar at No Way Out 04. Like Michael Cole does a great job in that match. And when he's allowed to be himself, he's very good. It's just he's got Vince McMahon chirping in his ear 20 you know the entire time he's on the air. So Vince really is a micromanager still to this day. Oh, big worse. Time. Yeah, worse. <clears throat> well, he's getting older, so he's getting he's more set in his ways and cranky. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I you know when when I first saw wrestling, it's Vince McMahon has had his evolution. He owned it all along when he got it from his father. He was an announcer, and then all of a sudden he showed up as the owner. It was did I pick up on that right? Is that part of his story? Um. Yes. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Yeah, there there was a transition where he was an announcer and then slowly started morphing into the Mr. McMahon character. But uh, yeah, that's basically has, it. Has he outlived his usefulness for the sport at this point? Oh, I think, hmm. I think by far, personally. Okay. Incredibly so. I mean, I mean, we owe Vince McMahon a lot, both for good and for bad. Yes. Mm-hmm. But it's a very... It, you know, his he's past his prime. He still looks for the big men when pro wrestling is moving towards smaller guys. Uh-huh. He, he could not understand why Daniel Bryan was getting so super over with the fans when he was pushing for Dave Batista, who had just come back after a few years off, to go into a WrestleMania main event. He just mm-hmm. can't read the crowd anymore. Goddamn, pal. He's a midget. Why would they cheer for him? <laughs> You're you're a pretty good impressionist. <laughs> <laughs> I try, I try. My I actually don't think I'm very good with Vince McMahon. Um, that wasn't. I knew if if you had just done that out of nowhere, I would have known who you were doing. So I, I appreciate that. <laughs> maybe I'll work. Maybe I'll work my Macho Man impression in at some point. <laughs> there it is. There it Does is. The cream still rise to the top. Oh, the cream will rise to the top, to the bottom, to the middle, anywhere you want it to rise. You just leave it to me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. 
<laughs> oh my god and, you know these characters it's it's like i think the more over the top they are the better has there ever been a guy who is just subtle all the time he was so understated and just so kind of level one of our best guests jake roberts jake the snake really? roberts yep the first one i was going to think of jake's yeah, never jake. been kind of one of those ones to shout and get all riled up jake actually no. made a point of it he said okay. himself when everybody is shouting that's when you talk. And when everybody is talking, that's when you whisper. Got yep. it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And we ha- I remember meeting him. Boy, what an interesting guy he was to interview. Holy mackerel. That was that was probably the hardest interview I've done was sitting up there on that dais with uh, with with Jake because he was just he he does not play a character. He <clears throat> he really is just that kind of terse. He's he's gruff. He's he's no bullshit. He's just okay. Here's the situation, and uh, and I ask I would ask him these questions, expecting these lofty, long answers, these these anecdotes, and he'd just be like, "No." To <laughs> sit with him for a couple minutes or watch his table while he did something. Yeah. She could not wait until the person came back to to take over because she was like petrified. <laughs> of him just, and, you know, whatever she said, she's like, "Oh my god." Well, soon after he was in FC3, um, that movie Peanut Butter Falcon came out. And I don't know if you guys saw that or not. I have seen it. It's a good yeah. movie. But he's he plays a part in it. And it's it's amazing because I'm like, my God, he's just playing himself. <laughs> it's just, it's just, yeah. And he's those not are a some, character. And those are some of the best pro wrestling characters when yep. people mm-hmm. are playing themselves with the volume turned up. That wasn't just yep. Jake, that was also Randy Savage, was that? Yeah. Steve Austin, when he entered his stone cold phase of the career, was that The Rock when he actually became The Rock? Was mm-hmm. that you see a lot of that in John Moxley today? Yeah, Even, I think Cena gets a bad rap. It, so many people dislike John Cena, and I don't know if you do, Vinny, but I'm a fan. I can't remember last time he didn't give a hundred percent. He's good promos, good matches. Yeah. I. I I don't understand the dislike for John Cena. It was I agree. the booking. It yeah, was it, the booking. it was the booking. It was people rejecting this guy who's being fed to them as the next top guy. But I mean, I totally agree with everything you said, Billy. He was one. He's arguably the hardest working guy in the business. Like he, every time he was out there, he gave one hundred ten percent. I got no problem with John Cena. I mean, he put Kevin Owens over in like his first match. Yes, yes, he did. Which was a and that was a great match. And Owens yeah. is another one of those guys who is yeah. just himself with the volume turned up, and mm-hmm. you, he could he he could he could sell a cockroach into a roach motel. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting way of putting it. <laughs> um, James, did you have any more of your points that you wanted to cover? Two, and Two actually, we're going to we're cycling back to a guy we mentioned a moment ago, Daniel Bryan. <laughs> And his match at WrestleMania 35 with Kofi Kingston. Because this became one of the very few times Vince actually did finally listen to fans when what about what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Background going into this. Going into a match called the Elimination Chamber, which is this inside this big metal structure. A fellow named uh, Mustafa Ali had been injured and had to back out of the match. And they determined Kofi would be his replacement. And then suddenly, you know... 
Kofi and his partners in the New Day, Xavier Woods and Big E Langstrom, had always been very popular, sold a ton of merchandise, consistently got crowd reactions, but Kofi had never gotten a chance at a main event match. And now that this was dangling in front of fans, they didn't just leap on it, they ate it up wholeheartedly. The, mm-hmm. the chance for him became deafening, and they, and suddenly, quote-unquote, Kofi Mania was born, and Vince, for once, at, at, probably after having learned from being from the experiences with the, the Daniel Bryan fiasco, where fans were just cheering and cheering and cheering and cheering for him, and he just wouldn't deliver. Vince wouldn't deliver it, that is. Right. And finally, they, they just decided, okay, let's put the belt on Kofi. Daniel Bryan was, of course, up for it. He He's probably one of the most generous guys in the business today. And they actually told a re- fairly solid story in the ring. And it just got emotional. Kofi had been with the company since 2009 and was never regarded as, as a proper main eventer. But he, he got his chance. He made it work. And when was this? What year was this? This was uh, two years ago. Two years. Okay. So in 19. So 10 years he'd been with the company and finally getting his opportunity. Do you find that's a common thing, fellas, where um, favorite characters don't happen organically? They're kind of shoved in your face. You're going to like this guy. This guy is going to be your hero now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more of a staple of the modern product, but it is something that did happen throughout throughout history um sometimes both of those things would happen at the same time like let's say hulk hogan like uh, vince mcmahon brought hulk hogan into the wwf late 83 and anointed him you're gonna be my guy you're gonna be the the face of this company as as we do a national expansion and it Uh just so happened that vince mcmahon handpicked him shoved him into everyone's face and everyone loved him and hulk hogan was a worldwide superstar for the next, you know, eight, nine, however many, you know, however many years, even more than that. But um, that's one where both of those things happened at the same time. But then you get uh, when he first started getting the big push, you get the Roman Reigns effect where it was the exact opposite. Vince McMahon is telling everyone, this is your new guy. This is your new guy. And everyone is just kicking him right back through the door. No, this is your guy. We don't want him. You know, uh-huh. So the, the rejection, I think, is a little bit more of a staple of the modern product with the uh, a lot more smart fans out there. Okay. So not letting things happen organically, rather than just running it and seeing what and pushing it and seeing what happens. Correct. Um, so let me ask this question. And James, I'm sorry, I knew you had a fifth point, but I kind of want to start getting towards wrap up at this point. Okay. Um, so let me ask this question, Vinny. And, and Billy and James, but I want to hear from Vinny first. Here's here's the hypothetical situation. It's it's two years from today, and through a bizarre set of circumstances, there's a drawing, there's a lottery, there's some sort of amateur night, whatever the case may be. Vince McMahon steps down. Vinny Pantillo, you are now the owner and manager, managing partner of the World Wrestling Entertainment Empire. Mm-hmm. What's what's one of the things? You, give me give me one or two things you would do to revitalize this entertainment form that you've, you've loved so much for so long? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, uh, personally, and, and, and everyone who listens to my podcast is going to, is going to roll their eyes now because I put this guy on a pedestal so much, but uh, uh-huh. the first thing I'm doing is I'm signing Nick Aldis to a 10 year contract. Uh, I, I think Nick Aldis is 
the best ambassador for the way wrestling quote unquote used to be and how it could be done the way that I remember it being done, but still being accessible to the modern fan. So that would be the first thing that I would do is I would sign that guy. Uh, I like what they're doing with Roman Reigns now that they, they went, and a full heel turn with him. And he's like this just dastardly badass kind of character. But mm-hmm. um, the big thing, the other big thing they need to do is they need to keep pushing the young talent. You've got okay. a lot of talent in NXT. Not all of them need to be in developmental. Like you should be, you know, Lord, no. yeah. Like um, I know he went back there, but like Finn Balor has no business in NXT. Like that's a guy. He knows the business. You could be building your brand around him. Um, and they need to start having faith in the smaller and some of the smaller guys. And I, I keep saying guys, but the girls too. Um, mm-hmm. and the, 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 younger talent, they need to start pushing the younger talent. Okay. Very cool. Billy, how about you? One thing I'd love to see happen and it won't is back to fewer pay-per-views. You can't keep up nowadays. You can't uh-huh. build the big matches the way you need to in the course of three weeks or four weeks, the amount of time between pay-per-views. When I, when pay-per-views first started happening for WWF, there was four a year, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, and which one am I forgetting? Survivor Series. Uh, Thank you. Even Uh, WWE forget Survivor Series. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, To the point where that's not one of, one of the big ones. That's why I forgot it. Um, but you used to have three months to build up the biggest feuds to the point where people couldn't wait to see any of the matches. Even like the undercard matches nowadays and pay-per-views are throwaways. You don't even really care. Back in the days of WrestleMania 3, WrestleMania 4, you cared about every match. Mm-hmm. Every match had a solid feud with a story behind it. Going back to what Vinny said about stories, you cared about these characters and who won, who lost, and why. So to me, fewer pay-per-views is the way I go, but that won't happen because of money. Yeah, money money's the drive the root of all evil, drives everything. Mm-hmm. How about you, young Mr. James? There's three things that immediately come to mind. First, okay. fire Kevin Dunn. Get rid of his short attention span. <laughs> get rid of his, get rid of his perverted nature, where he's insisting on looking at uh, Lacey Evans' rear end. Get rid of the zoom in and out and in and out and in and out that makes me seasick watching the product half the time. Now let me interrupt you real quick. Who's Kevin Dunn? Kevin Dunn is the man in the production truck, and okay. is basically one of Vince's right hand guys. Gotcha. Thank you. Although I like Lacey Evans' rear end, so. <laughs> Second thing I would do, stop overscripting the promos. Okay. These guys, guys like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and the members of the New Day, just just trust them to get the matches over on their own, in their own words. Yeah, they could talk for sure. Yeah. And the third thing I would do is I would stop trying to miscast wrestlers. Let Sami Zayn be the ultimate sympathetic babyface rather than this conniving guy with with an ultra-left bent. Only in WWE can somebody with a very liberal outlook be considered the villain, let me tell you. But, you know, at, at that same point, let Keith Lee be the big guy doing things no big guy has any business doing and yet doing them gracefully. Okay. Let, let the Street Profits, Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford, be probably some of the most... Con- 
just be as naturally entertaining as they want to be and and let them just bring back the tag wrestling around those two guys because they can carry that any tag division in the world i think and just trust the people you have uh-huh okay good tips Fellas, that was a fun conversation, and I, I, I appreciate you sharing that with me. It's 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 rare for me to be able to take a back seat and just kind of listen and learn, uh, and so it's kind of cool to listen to folks and, and and listen to their passion for a particular subject that I'm not familiar with. So it's always kind of cool for me to have that experience. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Vinny, stick with us for a little bit. We do this thing at the end of our podcast, usually in the final section, where we have a question of the week. Okay. And it's usually something silly and ridiculous, but I want to get your input on it this week as well. Okay. Uh, so we take a quick break, and when we come back, it'll be question of the week. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dudes and dudettes. That was fun. You know, like I was saying you know, when we were off air for a moment there, it's not often that I get to just kind of sit back and watch the show unfold. And it was so cool to listen to you guys chatting about something you're passionate about. That was a lot of fun. See, this reminded me of a time, I think it was 89. I, You know, we have FC3. I actually went to a wrestling convention in Flushing, New York. It mm-hmm. was at a hotel. They had... Just an all-star lineup of wrestlers signing autographs and giving you know, panels and a, a dealer's room and all that stuff. And then on Sunday night, we went to SummerSlam. And then Monday night, we went to a WCW show in Philadelphia. And from Saturday night to Sunday morning, I latched on to a couple guys. I was there by myself. But me and like three other guys spent all night talking after like the la- after the dinner until like five in the morning about our favorite wrestling stuff. Oh, man. <laughs> and that's what this reminded me of. That's cool. That's cool. See, and that's fun because everything is geeky if you love it enough. That's mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. So it is time now for our question of the week. We don't have Dan's big list, but I have a list that I have been hanging around for, for a little while. It has some open questions on it yet that we've never asked. Vinny, as you are our guest, you get to have the first swing at it. Okay. I'm going to ask you this. If you were a supervillain, where would you put your evil lair and what kind of defenses would you have? Ooh, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> where would I put my evil lair? Um, I'm. I tend to be very lazy, so I think I'd say my basement, so I didn't have to travel very far. There you um, go. See, <laughs> <laughs> I could just basically walk down nine stairs and hey, I'm in my lair. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, in this current age of pandemic isolation and quarantines, that really does make a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, as far as defense mechanisms, so nobody broke in and found it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I would get my hands on every piece from from every spectrum of political paraphernalia I could find and wallpaper the windows with them facing out. So they all thought if, <laughs> if, they want to you. if anybody broke in, it would be nothing but political discussions. Uh, from all <laughs> that would keep basically everybody out. So there you go. There you, I love it. That's fantastic. Hey, Tanya, 
Yes, Christopher. You haven't had a lot to do today. You've been and that's like, been perfect. I'm you've been com- listening patiently and, and playing and, on your phone. That's fine. I was contemplating taking a nap. So I'm, I'm sleepy. So I'm going and, I, and I'm dopey. So it really works out. Um, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to ask you if you Tanya Fabulous were if you were a supervillain where would you put your evil layer and what kind of defenses would it have Well between me and my side my uh my supervillainous bestie Anne Yes um we would probably put it in the middle of her farm area The farmland The farmland yes, yes. Because and, all your defenses would naturally be cow, cow pie. Yes. Well, between that, manure. that and our, our defenses would be um, some cute little fuzzy animals because everyone would just like, oh. The Vorpal Bunny from, from Monty Python's Holy Grail. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that. <laughs> I think we have several layers of defense. First, first is the layer of cows, and then it's yeah. the, the cow manure because you don't want to cross that. Uh-huh. And then, um, then there's the flying chickens. There, there's a backstory to that, Vinny. I'll tell you real quick. It's funny because chickens are not normally known for their flight capability. Mm-hmm. But I have an Australian shepherd. She's a 50-pound nuclear reactor with paws. And <laughs> I'll be at Anne's farm every so often. At one point, Juno started herding the chickens. And she got on the tail of one. And that thing was actually airborne for about 300 feet because it was trying to get away from my dog. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Funniest thing ever. They were so, at full speed. It was the best. Anyway, carry on. So, yeah. So, um, I think between Anne's house and my house, I think the third layer of defense yes. would be Star Wars Legos. Okay. Around around there. You, you took part of my answer, but I'm gonna I'm okay yeah, with that because yeah, I yeah. have other parts of my defensive structure that will be applicable. And then, uh, I don't know. All right. So, to get to Tanya's uh, evil layer with Anne, you'd have to get through cows, cow manure... Cute little fuzzy animals. Cute little fuzzy animals that are all deadly, and then a whole bunch of Legos. Yes. Okay, that's fair. Billy, you're up. Okay, my first thought was the classic place where supervillains tend to hang out, especially mm-hmm. in Scooby-Doo Amusement Park. There you I go. I want to oh. the amusement park. Nice. Defenses I'm bad at because, I mean, you can have your funny house of mirrors. Clowns. Um, yeah, I guess clowns. I could pull a Joker move and have... Clown ninjas. I, I, I'm not quite sure because I don't. I'm not a gun guy. I don't. Despite my love of wrestling, I don't love violence. <laughs> so I don't want people getting hurt. Maybe the uh, oh, uh, a t- classic TV trope. I need quicksand. Oh, quicksand. It's it's been go. around on on Gilligan's Island. They had it, and you know every '60s adventure show. Wound up with quicksand, so I need a yeah, motor quicksand. Kid, I, I thought quicksand was be a much more bigger problem in my adult years than it has been. <laughs> exactly. Sixties TV had a lot of quicksand, so that like a mode of quicksand around the amusement park. And I'm I'm not quite sure for fl- is flying monkeys an option? I've always been a Wizard of Oz fan. Flying monkeys works. Yeah, yeah. I understood yeah. that. Reference. Flying <laughs> monkeys. I understood that reference. <laughs> <laughs> Thank How you about you, James? Me. I'm going to hear what evil plans you have. Well, for my headquarters, I would put it right in the place nobody ever wants to go. The DMV. <laughs> he doesn't need any defenses. No one's going to want to go there. Nobody's going to be able to get past the, the, the people at the, the, the desk. If they oh do somehow God. manage to discover enough. 
or That's numerous inspired. enough to get past the people at the desk, my defenses would inc- would probably be. You know, I, I'm bad at this too. I, I'm with Billy on this. Mm-hmm. Probably have to uh, resort to an, obs- an obscure trivia program as the lock on the door. There you go. What about some of the the music from like elevators or whatever, where you're waiting? Oh, number type thing because <laughs> you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. Okay, so it would have to be music versions of hard rock and funk songs. Then you people are disturbed. I love it. I absolutely love it. There, I say I can help be the the security defense thing for uh, James. There you go. I Thank you, Tanya. You're welcome. <laughs> this has been fun. All right, and and last but not least, I assume it's my turn. All right. Yes, it is. All right. So, um, it would be uh, my my evil layer would be at FAO Schwartz because. You know, I'm not that evil, so I'd be bored quickly because there's nothing really going on. So I'd want to play with all the toys. And um, and my, my defense is, Tiny beat me to the punch because I'd be throwing a lot of, like, Legos and four-sided dice around. Oh, I was going to say. And if you could get past the Legos and four-sided dice, then then sure, you can come on in and play with the toys at that Bayo Schwartz. Use a broom. <laughs> Defeated by the broom. Curse you, Aqua Scum! Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds like a wrap, kids. That's a wrap, my friends. Vinny, thank you once again for hanging out with us. His podcast is Bulldogs Got the Book. Where can you find that? You can get us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, CastBox, Spotify, uh, pretty much anywhere. Tune in radio, all kinds of places. Outstanding. Look for that. Bulldogs Got the Book. That was Vinny Pontillo. So for James, for Billy, for Tanya, for myself, and for Dan, who's home convalescing at the moment, That is the wrap. So this is where I go, hey, Dan, and he'll say, hey, Chris, and I'll say, hey, Dan, and he'll say, hey, Chris again, and then I'll say, hit it. Because this has been FC3's Monkey Business, your one-stop shop for everything geeky, and everything can be geeky if you love it enough. Produced by the Flower City Comic Con folks at the Mighty Monkey Corporation, purveyors and producers of the aforementioned Flower City Comic Con, coming at you September 25th and 26th of 2021 at the Total Sports Experience in Gates. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, follow us wherever we go, and we will lead you where the entertainment is. You guys have a great week. Have a safe week. We will talk to you again next week. We are desperately out of time! Dun dun dun! dun. <laughs> <laughs>